This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, and I'm really happy today uh, to have as my guest, Jose Vergara, who is going to be talking about his new book, All Future Plunges to the Past, James Joyce in Russian Literature, just out with Cornell University Press 2021. Um, Jose, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're here and a little bit about Dr. Vergara. He is an assistant professor of Russian at Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania. He specializes in the prose of the long 19th century with an emphasis on experimental works. This is his first book, and in it, he examines Russian writers' reception of James Joyce's fiction. In the book, uh, he illuminates how these writers have used Joyce's ideas as a critical lens to shape, prod, and constantly redefine their own place in literature and literary history. He's published on authors included Vladimir, including Vladimir Nabokov, Mikhail Shishkin, and Sasha Sokolov, among others, in a variety of journals. And his writing and interviews can also be found in the Los Angeles Review of Books, Asymptote, World, Words Without Borders, and music and literature, and we'll talk about his current project, which I think is really fascinating toward the end. Um, so, Jose, I just want to start with a question that I ask all of my authors. What was your motivation, and how did you get interested in this topic? Yeah, uh, of course, it's a question I've thought a lot about, um, and I think it uh, kind of speaks to my convoluted history with Joyce. Um, I can kind of see looking back different moments that led up to, to this topic and then, you know, culminating in this book. Um, but I, I first tried to read Joyce, Ulysses in particular, in high school on my own. And I kind of stumbled uh, once I got to the part where Leopold Bloom's cat starts talking. Um, I just felt <laughs> a little too much at the moment. Uh, and I think I had, you know, other other things on my mind and other writers to read. Um, but I was also always very curious in Joyce. And then in college, when I had some extra time in my schedule, I took a or kind of created an independent study with one of my professors, Tim Langen, um, in which we read Andre Bailey's Petersburg, uh, Flann O'Brien's At Swim Two Birds, and Ulysses. Um, and there it kind of finally clicked, and I kind of understood mm. it and understood that it was fun to read Joyce, in particular with other people. It's a kind of communal experience. Um, so anyway, I had this, you know, fascination with Joyce along the way when I was also studying Russian literature and, and Russian in general. 
Um, and then it came time to pick a dissertation topic in grad school. And at that point, mm-hmm. I was taking a, a seminar in the English department, again, because of my kind of side interest in Joyce, um, on Joyce, Beckett, and modernity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we started reading Ulysses in that class, I noticed these connections to Yuri Ilyesh's novel, Envy, um, just something I hadn't considered before, but it seemed really striking how the novels yeah. uh, open with these bathroom scenes and these different parallels between the two works. So I uh, started digging into it further and I kind of discovered that um, aside from some individual studies, uh, Neil Cornwell's really excellent James Joyce and the Russians, which looks at the critical reception of Joyce in the Soviet Union and the immigrant communities, um, and then some studies of um, or accounts of the translation history. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from all that, there wasn't much on the literary reception, kind of cultural reception of Joyce um, in Russian literature, and it struck me as a you know perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, union of these interests of mine, Russian literature and Joyce. Um, and from there, yeah, it was a matter of picking authors and picking an approach and um, kind of tracing this, the, the story, the development of this story in Russian literature. Um, mm-hmm. And what I've, I don't know, the line I've been using recently is that at the end of Ulysses, Joyce has this uh, postscript where he includes the the cities where he wrote the book and the dates, uh, 19, 1914 to 1921. And in my case, I, was, I wrote this book between uh, 2014 and 2021 or the publication <laughs> of 2021. So there's this nice symmetry, this nice parallel, um, something, I don't know, unexpected. Yeah, it's you're, you're right at the centennial. And I think it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it sounds like the perfect moment to talk about um, the history of modernism and its reception and, and this you know, the ideal of, of the self-made artist as you lay it out um, with all of these different Russian and Soviet writers and even, say, post-Soviet and post-modern writers. So let me ask the, the, this question. Um, why these five writers? Who who are they for our, our listening audience? What what did they write and, and how, do you, how do you see them creatively engaging with James Joyce and his body of work? Sure. So the, the five authors are Yuri Alyesha, Vladimir Nabokov, probably the, the best known among them, um, Andrei Bitov, Sasha Sakalov, and Mikhail Shishkin. Um, the question why I selected them, I think for a number of reasons. I, I really wanted to have uh, a representative sampling um, uh, in these case studies, and I wanted to, to highlight the different ways Joyce has been received and understood and um, uh, kind of written against or written with uh, by these different Russian authors. So Alyasha uh, was publishing in the 20s and the 30s and then kind of his produ- production rate, I guess, uh, sort of trailed off. Um, so he represents a really early reception mm-hmm. of Joyce. Um, and that was important to me to show how uh, writers were responding to him quite early. Then Nabokov, um, Again, as, as many listeners probably know, um, he's uh, a special case um, in that mm. his English was, you know, just as excellent as his Russian, so he could understand Joyce in, in ways that you know, uh, many other authors couldn't and could easily access him um, with the full English translation much more easily, I guess, um, in emigration. Um, 
and for me, he was important because of uh, the, the kind of range of responses to joy. So in, in chapter two, mm. I look at both uh, his final Russian novel and as a kind of translation or creative mistranslation of Ulysses, uh, but then also at the end, bring in his second English language novel, Ben Sinister, where he kind of continues this polemic or this dialogue uh, with mm. Joyce. So um, th- there's kind of more uh, more material to, to work with there as well. Um, and then afterward, uh, between chapters two and three in the book, there's a kind of gap with where um, in the Soviet Union, at least, there's a, you know, the clampdown on modernism and writers like Joyce, where you just don't speak about him publicly um, mm-hmm. Even if, as you know, yeah. I know that they're still reading and all the attacks, right? I mean, the the early, early in the early to mid nineteen thirties, especially, and with the turn right to socialist realism and how he disappeared from the public sphere, um, right? Because he's he's actually gone from say nineteen thirty two to nineteen fifty five, if I remember correctly, right, or somewhere around there. Yeah, approximately. There there were actually still some. Um, partial translation of Ulysses, uh, between 1935 and, um, 36, 37. Um, they, they managed to publish about 10 chapters or episodes from Ulysses, um, a version of Dubliners in 1937 as well. But yeah, from, from then on very, very few, um, uh, commentaries or, or anything about him. He, he, he got a, um, obituary published when he died, but, uh, not much in certainly the forties and fifties. Um, and then we come back out of that after Stalin's death and, you know, a, a few more years after that as well. So, um, Jose, let, let me ask you if I may, just a general factual and historical question about the translators into Russian or into Soviet Russian through the lens of translation studies. So how, how did your writers, it, the initial ones anyway, like Yuri Alyosha, become acquainted with James Joyce and his body of work. Um, could you give us some idea of, of how that came to be from, from the 20s onward? Yes, absolutely. Um, so one of the first kind of curiosities and um, moments in Joyce in Russia uh, was an article published by Evgeny Zamyatin, the author of We, Mui, um, in the, in the early 20s in his journal, um, his literary journal. And in there, he uh, kind of describes Ulysses, the plot, um, some of the innovations and the kind of candidness with which Joyce um, speaks about um, sexuality and, and kind of everyday life. Um, and in the scholarship, it's a little bit unclear to people whether or not he actually read Ulysses or all of Ulysses, but nonetheless, he was one of the uh, first popularizers or first um, critics to speak about Joyce um, in Russia, um, and certainly for writers like Alyesha and some of the other uh, Russian modernists who um, really appreciated Zamyatin, mean, this this would be a, a key moment. Um, but as mm-hmm. far as the translations go, um, one of the, in general, one of the first translations of Ulysses um, that came to be was in Russia in 1925. Um, uh, there were some fragments from Ulysses. It's even fragments of episodes of the novel. So not a full mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. by any means. Yeah. Um, but 
thing from the beginning of the novel, the middle, and the end, even the uh, Molly's um, soliloquy. soliloquy. At the end. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. you, so you get a full range and full idea of what uh, Ulysses does or, or could do. Um, and this was published in Leningrad and in Moscow in this translation by Zhitovnitsky. Um, mm. And um, again, writers like Ilyasha would have access to this and would um, kind of encounter Joyce. And, you know, in a lot of memoirs from the time, including uh, a number uh, of Ilyasha or involving Ilyasha in some way, uh, all these debates were springing up about what Joyce was bringing to to literature in general and perhaps Russian mm-hmm. literature. Um, debates about, you know, is this stream of consciousness actually new or right. um, is this something Tolstoy had done before? Um, and there's this, to me, this brilliant line in one of these memoirs where um, Eliasha is kind of critiquing uh, this fascination with Joyce, even though as I, you know, propose and show he, he was engaging with Joyce very directly. Um, he, he mentions how, you know, in, um, in telegraph offices, these uh, clerks have been writing without punctuation for uh, quite a long while. So Joyce's uh, innovation isn't quite um, that impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, throughout the rest of the 20s and into the early 30s, as I mentioned, um, various things were getting published. The Dubliners in translation, more Ulysses fragments in 29, um, even some of his poetry, Joyce's mm. poetry in 1932. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the early kind of encounter yeah. with Joyce. That, that's really interesting to me um, because I, I'm thinking about the contrast between writers in the immigration, as you, as you mentioned, with with Nabokov and then Shishkin, um, and, and those you know who are who are not, and I think I guess who are engaging with some of the big themes, and and, and so this is one of the questions that I want to ask you about your book. What it seems one of your big arguments is about choosing a literary father rather than a biological father. And, and you write about this and I'm thinking of, of Nabokov's The Gift, where this is uh, such a theme in relation to say tradition and, and the individual talent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what is what is your argument about paternity? I, I think this is a really fascinating way of, of doing intertextuality and intertextuality is plural um, as I read your book. What, what's, your, what's your argument about fatherhood yeah this is um really the the kind of main thread of the book you know there are different themes and different ways that these writers have been responding to joyce um and on the one hand i'm emphasizing that there's no kind of single russian monolithic joyce they were uh, really responding to him in different ways based on their circumstances where they were writing from when they were writing from that sort of thing but um uh, this, this engagement with the idea of paternity and lineage uh, is really what brings them all together. Um, and this is really rooted in uh, episode nine of Ulysses, um, to kind of get technical for, for a moment here, in this uh, part of Ulysses, um, uh, Joyce through Stephen Dedalus lays out this uh, Shakespeare theory um, which, as you said, is um, it's kind of two, it's a two-parter. On, on the one hand, you're supposed to the creative individualist author is supposed to cut out the biological father um, and sort of supplant him with a literary forefather. So, in Joyce and Stevens' case, it's a matter of kind of following in Shakespeare's um, footsteps and electing a literary forefather as your model instead of um, you know an often disappointing and real. Uh, biological father. 
Um, and then along with that, what he's arguing is that um, the this, you know, quote unquote, great artist um, will also create lasting art. And in that sense, become a father to himself, herself, their self, right? Um, if you can transform how the world views you through what you leave it, the play Hamlet, uh, the novel Ulysses, etc., um, then you become a father to yourself and you kind of conceive of the world's version of you. Um, and in doing both of those things, um, your father, son, and Joyce would add, there's like the ghost and kind of the Holy Ghost involved as well, the sort of metaphysical and um, metaphoric and artistic thing that is your work, your novel, for instance. Um, and I think all of these writers, another reason why I selected all of them is that they're all really concerned with, even obsessed with uh, literary um, paternity, literary lineage, history in general. Um, and they all are responding to this theme in different ways, again, depending on their um, their circumstances and what they're after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by which authors choose Joyce. And I remember the story about Nabokov and, and how he had once proposed a translation of, of Ulysses. And, and it, as you say, it came to naught. Um, were there particular writers that, that you in, encountered who made Joyce into their er modernist, like the moderate modernist, ignoring, say, Eliot and Wolf and Pound? That, that's the first part of my question. And, and then the second part is the whole idea of Joyce being a, a high and inaccessible modernist, right? And, mm-hmm. and that Ulysses is a book that everybody talks about that nobody really has read. So um, how, how did you deal with that in, in conceiving of um, your elective affinities and, and, and choices of, say, fathers and sons? Yeah, I, I think I would say for, I mean all of the writers I selected um, this is maybe answering both questions at, at once in a way um, all of them speak about Joyce in their texts in some way, either explicitly or implicitly, and then certainly outside of their texts in, in interviews and in memoirs, etc. cetera. Um, and that to me was important to, to find um, kind of evidence or data in a way, um, mm. not just in the text, but outside of it and to see, um, maybe if there are contradictions between those or um, what their their statements outside of their novels could could bring to a discussion of how they're responding to Joyce. Um, uh, and I think, again, all five of the writers I focus on do see Joyce as this kind of monumental figure in, in modernism, um, European modernism, and then as a kind of influence or... Um, invading force welcome or not into mm, russian that's literature. interesting yeah, yeah. um yeah and I, I think they all um i mean these five and certainly others also elect him for that reason of literary pater- uh, paternity um sort of suggesting that they're as good or they can be as good there's there's a kind of currency right to associate your name with yeah yeah, and yeah figures like yeah. him um, so that was also an appeal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what is the coding, let's say, of Joyce as as a Western writer, or, or maybe even as a as an Irish writer? I guess that that topic is maybe less explored by um, 
Russians who Russian writers who who take upon his themes. Um, I guess my way of asking this is mm-hmm. is um, to for you to talk about maybe some of the the works of Joyce like Finnegan's Wake, not just Ulysses, but Dubliners and Portrait of the Artist and, and so forth, and some of his poetry. How how did they select a, a particular Joyce? Because you know there isn't one right monolithic James Joyce. There are all these different themes and images in addition to stream of consciousness. So uh, how how did you deal with that, especially with your later writers like Beethoven and, and Sokolov and eventually Shishkin? Yeah, I, I think that was uh, an important um, aspect of the book that I always had in mind, um, you know, for writers like Alyesha, um, starting at the beginning, he, you know, would have had less of a choice to, to access. Um, and then for all of them, it really came back to Ulysses as the primary novel for, I don't know, maybe obvious reasons as this classic modernist text and something that everyone at least talks about, even if they haven't read all of it. Um, but yeah, moving forward, I, I, one of the things that was um, most curious to me was the kind of development in uh, a stylistic influence. You know, we don't see a whole lot of that early on um, mm-hmm. with writers like Ilyesha or even Nabokov. Nabokov, you know, famously calls and, and parodies uh, Finnegan's Wake as kind of trash or not not anything worth pursuing. Um, mm-hmm. kind of dead end, just folkloric nonsense. Um, but then writers like Sakhalov and Shishkin, certainly, um, who had the benefit of, of time and kind of um, seeing uh, what uh, an experiment like Finnegan's Wake and the more experimental parts of uh, Ulysses can, can produce, um, I think they were able to integrate that into their art more successfully or more willingly. Um, in Sokolov's School for Fools, there's certainly the you know, um, stream of consciousness, um, for lack of a better term, and I kind of engage with this mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the book. Um, and the same thing in uh, Shishkin's Maiden Hair, um, kind of developing the stream of consciousness into what I call collective stream of consciousness, um, and also the kind of collage aspect of, of the novel where he's copying bits just like Joyce did, Right, um, right. From from other texts and other writers and other um, uh, utterances and, and discourses, um, they kind of saw this benefit of uh, what Joyce accomplished in in the, his later work in, in Finnegan's Wake um, in a way that the, the older writers couldn't. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll just uh, add here uh, in terms of his his coding as an Irish writer. I think for for some of these writers and some of the ones I, I spoke to. Um, for the conclusion, um, when when I posed this question of you know parallels between Ireland and Russia, for the most part, it wasn't something that was on their minds, and they, they weren't mm. um, I don't know engaging with Joyce in that way. Uh, in some cases, because they just don't know about Irish history um, uh, well enough to comment on it anyway. Um, but for a writer like Shishkin, um, as I described in chapter five. Joyce really represents Western art um, and kind of the, the band suppressed Western art that wasn't accessible so widely in the Soviet Union um, after the 30s. Um, and he has this, this great um, interview in which he says that he wants to merge uh, the West's love of man 
which is embodied for, or excuse me, love of uh, the word, which is embodied for him in Joyce with Russia's love of um, man embodied for him in Nikolai Gogol. Um, mm-hmm. So I see it, and I think Shishkin, you know, <laughs> more or less explicitly makes this claim that for him, Joyce and the art and perspective that Joyce represents um, is a way to reintegrate Russian literature into or onto the world stage to bring it back um, into mm-hmm. uh, this broader landscape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you think that the writers that you've interviewed, and I, I wonder if, if you might say a few words about the gender aspect of this too, and, mm-hmm. and maybe the generational thing, you know, I, I mean, you've got some really important writers, um, Ksenia Buksha, for instance, or Ilya Kukulin, uh, Anna Glazova. I mean, they're, they're talking a lot about when they first discovered Joyce. Marina Stepanova, I think, is another one. Um, and, and for many of them, it's curious to me because they discovered Joyce as a teenager. I know I discovered Joyce as a teenager. I, I think I was 13 or 14 when I read Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Um, could, could you talk about that aspect? Because I, I see, you know, in your book that um, with this choice of five writers, you're paying very close attention to the problem of generations, you know, Atsi Idiati and so forth. But mm-hmm. many of the writers that you that you end up interviewing quite quite fast in a fascinating way toward the end, Dmitry Bikov, are born, let's say, in the 60s or 70s, or maybe in, even in the 80s. Um, could, could you say, I mean, I guess there are a lot of questions rolled into this, but I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in this, this Otkritya, the sort of discovery of, of Joyce and when it happens and how it happens. So what, what were some of the patterns that, that you learned and then began to assemble in, into these chapters? You know, for the conclusion, um, I wanted to, to speak to contemporary readers of choice and writers, critics, and so on. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that struck me was um, the predominance of male writers here. Um, you, you mentioned Ksenia Buksha, Anna Glazova, um, there's Marina Stepnova and, and, and a couple others. But uh, for the most part, these are male writers who responded to my my uh, call for, for interviews or my uh, when I reached out to them. Um, so it was, in short, kind of harder for me to um, get... Uh, female writers on the record to to respond to Joyce, and I'm not sure if I I'm not sure whether I have a good um, explanation for that. I mean, I think you know Joyce is I don't know prototypically cliched, um, coded again. I guess to go back to that term as as a male writer um, that appeals to these male interests, but there's still so much more universal interests and themes in his book. Um, but for a lot of, again, some of the writers that I reached out to who didn't participate in these interviews, um, they, they just didn't see him as a major influence. Uh, one, for instance, Kalina Rimbu, it's really exciting, terrific, right. Uh, feminist poet, young, of, of the young generation, um, you know, ex- explicitly told me that these sorts of male writers like Joyce just, didn't have much of an impact on her. Uh, but for others, as you noted, certainly Buksha and Glazova um, and, and some of these other uh, writers of all different kinds, right? There's, there's a good mix. Um, they're not just kind of experimental writers like Joyce. Um, 
yeah, they encountered him in their youth. Uh, a couple at least sort of described him uh, or described him um, as a writer that they read uh, when they were sick, like they were sick at home and they, you know, picked up Joyce. Um, and then um, Stepnova uh, in particular talks about the kind of like um, feverish feverishness that came over her after she read portrait of an artist and description of hell and there and it's kind of like physical effect that was something that that came up a few times in these interviews like the kind of dramatic physical uh effect that joyce can have on you and the kind of dizzying um quality of his art um and then uh alexander ilanin too talks about joyce as kind of air you want to breathe into existence sort of um um uh, calming and comfortable, I guess. It's still challenging, certainly, but um, kind of you feel at home with Joyce if you kind of uh, belong to this tradition or see yourself as part of this tradition. Um, these are, yeah, some of the themes or the patterns I noticed in in reading their works and, and talking to some of them at for the end too. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Yeah. Do, do you see in, especially say in Shishkin, Maidenhair, which you talk about, and I think a really interesting chapter five, mm-hmm. not only Joycean themes, but say Joycean characters. I, I know that you know, it, it, I remember reading this, this interview that, that one of my mentors, Emily Tall did with the, the translator, Victor Hinkis, um, and I think was one of the first translators of Joyce. And Hinkis said something like, um, it, it was really difficult to translate Molly's soliloquy, not um, having the ability to to feel her, like to feel her experiences. I, I think about this as a gendered thing. I, I'm wondering if, if you might talk about who who you would regard in some of these um, fine novels as, as Joycean characters, characters, or at least characters who are maybe parroting or re-experiencing Joycean themes. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, I'll, I'll just note, since you, you mentioned Emily Tall, um, I, uh, that's a great, <laughs> that, that you knew her and you had this, uh, yeah. or you, you know her. Um, I, I've been trying to uh, track her down, but I was never able to. So you'll have to tell me later if I, will. if I can reach out to her. Um, as, as far as uh, choice and characters, yeah. I think, I mean, since you mentioned Shishkin I, in Maidenhair, um, I don't know if I thought about it in these terms, but certainly the the translator interpreter figure, the protagonist in in that novel, um, is a kind of Joycean figure in the, the wanderings that he does. Right, he's not feeling exactly at home anywhere, and he's uh, displaced in these various ways um, in immigration. So in that sense, I, I do think Shishkin himself uh, kind of sees this affinity with with Joyce. Um, as an emigrant writer, as someone um, existing outside of, you know, his, his homeland. Um, and the interpreter is a kind of a mm-hmm. avatar of that, uh, certainly. Um, and what I saw were in these five novels, a, 
lots of kind of inversions of Joycean characters or Joycean uh, models. Um, the primary one certainly is the the young artist um, who's searching for a father or trying to replace a father. This is in mm-hmm. all of the books. Stephen, Stephen Daedalus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, from Envy to The Gift, the book is Gift, uh, in Pushkin House uh, by Andrei Bitov, uh, the, the main character, Lyova. Um, he develops what he, what the narrator calls the grandfather hypothesis um, and makes these connections between uh, these men who have returned back from the camps, uh, from Stalin's camps, um, his grandfather and a family friend um, whom he just didn't know exactly for a while um, as potential father figures. And he's uh, making these claims uh, that this is actually his father instead of his biological one. Um, and at the same time, he's obsessed with Pushkin and um, literary heritage as well. Um, so all these concerns that Stephen has are, are replayed in these Russian novels on these Russian pages, um, but inverted again because of the circumstances. Here, Bitov understands fully well that he's coming to Joyce belatedly um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and has to respond to him in a way unlike, say, Alyesha or Nabokov, these early uh, modernist writers who could read uh, Joyce when he was first appearing and first coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and what about the postmodernists? So <laughs> I've got to mm-hmm. ask this, you know, where, where does he fit in, in the world of, of Sorokin? I mean, where, where does he fit even, let's say, in the world of right-wing postmodernists whom, whom you mentioned a little bit, Prilipin, have, have they have they bothered? I mean, I guess, you know, engaging with Ulysses is, is one question you can imagine who has read Ulysses and, and who hasn't. But since there's now, you know, a kind of almost standard postmodernist canon um, mm-hmm. for Russian writing since, since, say, the late late 80s or maybe 90s, um, is, is Joyce passé in, in that universe or... Do you still find people, since you experience this directly in, in the Moscow reading group, um, Kruzhok, a circle who are, mm-hmm. is really, you know, like engaging with, with the episodes of, of Ulysses and, and with his body of work? Um, yes and no. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's this mix as always. Um, uh, for the kind of more experimental writers, um, you know, I've reached out to, we have Rubinstein and, uh, Sarokin as well, actually. And I didn't include Sarokin's statement, um, in the book. Um, but both he, you know, the conceptualist writers, Moscow conceptualists, um, Rubinstein and, and Sarokin both basically said that he was kind of, of interest in their youth, but they moved on quickly from him. Um, and just wasn't much of an influence. So I didn't, I didn't get much <laughs> from them. Um, though I did include, right, this, this little section, the, the kind of anti-Joycians or um, voices. Anti-Joycians, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they at least pre- present a different perspective than, than many of the other ones I include in that section of the book. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, yeah, the, for kind of right-wing postmodernist or contemporary writers i i didn't i just didn't come across um a whole lot um mm-hmm. uh but that's a yeah. good question something else to dig into um but yeah certainly for some of these writers um uh, bookshot to some extent um uh and a few of the others that i spoke to 
there's yeah absolutely this question of whether Joyce has passé, whether he's uh, bringing anything new to the table at this point, or whether it's just being kind of recycled and everything has just been integrated into Russian literature already. So there's not much of a point um, in holding him up so so highly. Um, but, mm-hmm. but to me, mm-hmm. this was really one of the uh, most fascinating parts and, and kind of symmetries in, in this research that the debates that are happening now um, regarding Joyce um, were very similar to what was happening at the beginning of the century or, you know, in the 20s, at least 20s and 30s. Um, the, the debates about Joyce um, being a novel writer or whether he's worth integrating into Russian literature in some way, whether he's a influence worth pursuing or um, is he just kind of getting in the way um, and not bringing anything Mm -hmm. uh, worthwhile to the table. Um, And, you know, it it just, this is what I'm, what I tried to emphasize at the end, that this is still an ongoing story. There's still um, more (laughs) joy history to, 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 to investigate. I, I love your chapter on, on Shishkin, Jose, I have to say, and I'm thinking about this essay that Shishkin wrote, which you mentioned called More, More Than Joyce, right, in, in 2018, which is, I think, you know, a, a, a seminal um, in, in the sense that he, you know, has published it in German, he was in exile, and he's positioning, you know, this classic Irish modernist writer within Russian culture as, as almost like a revival and I wonder if you might say something, not just summarizing Shishkin or, or what you know his pre- preferred stylistics are, but how how do you read this as a as a call, in some ways to to return and and also go you know into a future beyond the metaphysics of of paternity, as you say, and and the metaphysics as as defined of aesthetically choosing a heritage and choosing a father. I, I see this as as really. Um, promising, you know, throughout your book in, in that you're covering a lot of literary criticism, you know, from Harold Bloom to Julia Kristeva and, and, and beyond. But I wonder if, if you might offer your own ideas about this um, renovation of, of tradition, for lack of a better phrase, and, and what this might mean for um, your own writing and, and your own interests in poetics. It's a, uh, an excellent question and, and certainly a big one. Um, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right that, that what what Shishin proposes and kind of what I'm seeing too is um, a move away from uh, the kind of top-down hierarchical move, um, where uh, to something that's more um, I don't know equal and a loving level playing field that all of the, the forefathers and all of the the children foremothers as well um, kind of exist. Um, in the same space and you can quote and cite from others in, in this, in these new um, exciting ways or revised ways, I suppose. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, and like Shishkin says, I think this, you can't, I don't know, you, you can't return to the modernism of Joyce, of course, but what he represents and what he managed to accomplish um, nonetheless is going to be reinterpreted over and over and over. Um, and there's so many more discoveries to be made because of what he was able to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in this. So, um, Jose, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you wrap up the story in your conclusion. So, um, you have a, a really interesting section in which you lead off with a quote from Joyce, where you talk about, um, 
history is a nightmare. And there's a famous quote from Ulysses where uh, James Joyce says it seems history is to blame. Um, how, how did you end up writing your conclusion? And, and then ultimately, I, I would ask, how did you choose a mode for writing this book, if it's tragedy or comedy or irony um, in, in reengaging with this tradition? Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, in, in hindsight, or as I reflect and <laughs> hold the book in my hands, finally, the, the conclusion is really one of the things that I'm most excited about. Um, um, and uh, as, as you mentioned, it's divided up into five parts, um, which I call acts. And uh, one of those parts is what we've been uh, talking about, these interviews with contemporary writers. It's a sort of mini oral history. Um, and then the other parts sort of lay out different um, uh, aspects of how this all fits together, the story of choice. Um, there I engage with Hayden White and uh, different modes of approaching history or literary history. Um, and like you said, I, I, I think, uh, well, I, I can say I was conscious uh, about this or um, intentional about it. Um, for the five chapters of the book, the kind of main part, um, I really wanted to tell this sort of chronological story starting in the 20s and moving to the early 2000s, basically, ending with Shishkin's maiden hair um, uh, in, in tracing this development as something had, that, that had different eras with these representative writers that um, kind of speak to concerns and issues at each of these sort of pit stops along the way. Um, from Aliesha's ambivalence and tension in the Soviet Union, the early Soviet Union, to the emigre, to the post-Stalin uh, belated kind of, uh, freaking out about what, what you're supposed to do when you've missed out on so much history, uh, to uh, uh, Sokolov, who's sort of outside of history and outside of politics, or he, he wants to be, um, and then Shishkin's reintegration with uh, the world, with world culture. Um in, in this moment when, you know, all of a sudden you're competing with your predecessors on the market in a very literal way, right? If you're starting to publish in the early 90s, all of a sudden books by Nabokov, by Joyce are appearing for the first time or in a very long time, um, and your books are selling alongside those. So there's a, a strange um, set of circumstances. And then what I described and in the conclusion, um, in the third part of the conclusion leading up to the interviews is that, you know, again, there are different ways to tell the story. And what I um, wanted to emphasize with the, the, the oral history and um, uh, the arrangement there and having these voices speak to each other is, uh, again, a different mode um, of approach of, of literary history. And here, um, seeing these parallels and seeing these connections between the the different voices I think speaks to the kind of spontaneity and um, uh, chance that's always present in Joyce and in uh, literary history when these things just are in the air or they come up or someone introduces Joyce to someone else. Um, There's a a different approach uh, in organizing the material in that way. Um, And, there I wanted to have it kind of more open-ended um, and um, definitely not, I don't know, not, not tragic in, in White's way or in a kind of uh, um, traditional way and, and definitely not ironic. I think, I don't know, for better, for better or worse, I'm <laughs> more romantic about this and more idealistic in, in some ways and seeing the, 
uh, the benefit or the, the joy in Joyce and, and what this literature can bring um, and these universal unifiers that he's um, uh, writing about in his texts um, in the conclusion, I, to my mind anyways, kind of emphasizing that and the open-endedness of uh, his poetics and of, of Joycean studies too. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a really good place for me to ask about um, some of the, the literary criticism that, that you found, um, and maybe if you could recommend a few books to our listeners, I, I, I'm thinking that your mode is definitely not ironic, <laughs> um, but that you, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for what what you know I would call an interactive novel, and and in many ways I think um, rereading Joyce and, and celebrating um, Bloomsday, you know every every uh, June 16th becomes a, a way to do this, um, not just in stream, you know, stream of consciousness in that formal kind of way or formalist kind of way, but as a, as a celebration of literature and, and maybe as a celebration of, of world literature, which I, I think is um, where a lot of the authors you cover would, would love to place Joyce just in a not national canon, but Weltliteratur in, in, in what, you know, sort of Goethe imagined as, as, a, as a world literary um, space. Um, so maybe you, you could recommend a few, um, maybe like other works or other sort of literary scholars and in their works who have influenced you. Sure. Um, I think uh, a couple of things that come to mind that I've uh, read or encountered recently. One is uh, Molly Thomasy Blazing's uh, Snapshots of the Soul, which is looking at um, photography and um, photographic tropes in uh, Russian poetry throughout the 20th century. Um, I think in a, in a lot of ways, it's similar to my book um, in terms of the chronology and in terms of uh, these sort of key case studies. Um, so I've, I've really appreciated it both for the similarities and for providing a different lens. Um, and and I, I don't know, I'll just mention that I, I definitely want to look more at the poetic influence, Joyce's poetic influence. So that's an extension I need to get to. Um, and then one book that I'm uh, almost done with now and I've, I've been quite enjoying, um, another semi-recent one is uh, Fabrizio Fengi's, um, I hope I'm pronouncing the uh, name correctly, um, uh, It Will Be Fun and Terrifying, which is a brilliant title. Yeah. Um, and looking at... It's a great book. I, interv- yeah. I interviewed him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful book. Exactly, yeah. Uh, nationalism and Protest in Post-Soviet Russia. Um, uh so, you know, far from what I'm looking at, but it, it's a great uh, book in the sense that it, um, well, for a lot of reasons, but one thing that I really like is the um, direct interaction um, that the author had with a number of his subjects and this integration, um, you know, and, and like my book, having these interviews and oral history, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about, about how we can change and shift um, literary criticism or kind of write about these things in different ways. Um, and have different structures for for our books. Um, so anyway, that, that's a couple of things that I that I've appreciated recently. Mm-hmm. Thank thank you for that, and I, I'm I'm really happy that you mentioned Fabrizio's work. It's another one that I really hope people will read. Um, I, could you talk uh, finally? You know, since we're running out of time here uh, on new books, maybe about your current interests. I know. Um, in addition to all of this, and, and this is your first book, um, 
you are thinking about or working on a project involving contemporary Russian prison literature. And um, so um, how, how are you going to do that? Definitely. Um, so one not so recent book, but one that I mentioned earlier is uh, James Joyce and the Russians by Neil Cornwell. So if my book is looking at the literary response, this is something that I would recommend to readers who are interested in the history and the critical response of Joyce in, in Soviet Russia and in the emigration. Um, I think his, his book is important to mention here. Um, but as for more recent books that I've uh, enjoyed and have found uh, productive in, in some way, um, two come to mind. One uh, was just recently released as well is uh, uh, Molly Thomasy Blazing's Snapshots of the Soul, which looks at photography and photographic tropes in Russian poetry of the 20th and into the 21st centuries. Um, and in some ways, this book is uh, similar to mine in, in terms of taking a kind of case study approach, looking at this chronology of uh, this theme or this idea in Russian literature. Um, so I you know, <laughs> appreciated it for its uh, affinities, but um, it's, it's also covering this really fascinating topic um, with so many extensions in, in Russian culture um, and different manifestations. Um, a second book that I have recently, uh, well, that I'm um, very close to finishing at the moment is uh, Fabrizio Fengi's uh, It Will Be Fun and Terrifying. Um, mm. on Nash- That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I interviewed him. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. right. <laughs> um, on nationalism and protest in post-Soviet Russia. Um, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I particularly like here, um, in, in, in his book is, uh, how he incorporated, uh, interviews and kind of, um, anthropological approach, right. Into this cultural study of of nationalism and and protest in the post-Soviet Russia. Um, it's something, you know, that I had in mind in crafting the oral history in my, in my book. And then I'm thinking about more in general about how we can change, mm-hmm. uh, or I don't know what new things we can do in literary criticism, how we can structure our books differently or what else we can incorporate, whether it's you know, more interviews or more direct engagement with the material or, or thinking about, um, our mm-hmm. writing in, in these new exciting ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's exactly what I'm trying to do with you in interviewing <laughs> you. Um, I, I love doing oral history and, and, and I love the autobiographical dimension of, of experiencing the writer's world. Um, and, and really, in many ways, this is a psychological thing, trying, trying to um, figure out your interior monologue, if for lack of a better term, and um, how what's interior becomes externalized in, in the course of writing. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I was drawn to Joyce in the first place. Um, I tried very hard to get through Ulysses. I will now confess. <laughs> um, but I read, I read it backwards. I, I really did. I read it backwards from, from Molly's soliloquy and, you know, finally, um, read the whole thing, but it, it took, it took me a long time. Uh, I had, um, you know, read the other, works. I love Dubliners and, and definitely Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Um, I'm really intrigued in Joyce in Joyceana um, by the work on Nora. You know, I have to confess, we haven't mentioned Nora Barnacle at all, but, um, you know, th- in thinking about um, what Nora thought 
James should do and what he should be. And um, beyond the world of paternity, thinking about their children and um, that sort of thing. I think that there's so much more actually um, to explore. And, and I, I'm, you know, I confess I'm, I'm interested in biography and, and in that particular sort of dimension of, of their lives. Um, so I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't <laughs> no. know if there was a, if there was a biography of choice that you read when you were reading, uh, when you were reading Oh, definitely. Books. Yeah. The, the Elman biography is, is the place to go to, uh, the Richard Elman biography. Um, if I can just mention two quick sure, things that sure. came to mind too. The, so one of the people that I spoke with was uh, Sergei Solovyov, and he um, was kind of thinking along the same way you are about the, Joyce's personal life. Um, he he ran across Joyce's naughty letters to Nora, um, where he, I don't know, professes his love in, in pretty graphic terms. Um, and uh, they really resonated with him, the kind of openness that Joyce expressed um, and he translated them in a kind of poetic style. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that both the, the myth and the reality of Joyce and the, the person, um, that Joyce was, or, you know, how he presented himself appealed to a number of these Russian writers. Um, absolutely. The, the biographical with the literary. Um, and then the second thing, since you brought it up, I have this pet theory that we're all kind of writing about ourselves in our lit, in our research. Um, not, you know, a particularly original theory, but something that I do believe, um, at least in my case, you know, I, I didn't realize it for a while, but I came to this topic too, um, because I, I, I grew up without my father. My parents divorced when I was days old. I never knew him. Um, so this quest, I guess, to, to find a literary father and, you know, an interrogation of what fatherhood means um, or can be, I think really appealed to me, appealed to me in a way that I didn't recognize for a while. Um, and yet here's, here's a book <laughs> about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say it. And I was drawn to your book for this reason too. I also had an absent father um, who was gone, who was gone at 10 months. So um it, it, it is a quest and, and it's really, you know, intensely emotional and hard and personal. And um, I can imagine this was a really hard book to write. I'm not sure I could do it. <laughs> and, 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 and for that, for that reason, I really just want to congratulate you, Jose, on, on doing this on your, on your first book. Um, and now on that note, we're completely out of time. Uh, so we've been speaking here um, on New Books Network and new books in Russian and Eurasian studies and new books literature with author Jose Bukara, who is a choice scholar and has written a book called All Future Plunges to the Past, James Joyce in Russian Literature. This is just out with Cornell University Press in 2021. And Jose, again, I really want to thank you for your time and congratulate you on your wonderful book. Thank you so much, Stephen. This was fun. And I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, here on the podcast with New Books Network. Until next time.